All right, thanks, Kathy. Uh, one second here. Should have thought that through. Uh, my name is Nate Zyman. I'm the worship director here at Redemption Flagstaff. And uh, each, um, each week we like to uh, not only greet one another one time, but we really mean it. And uh, we know that usually we don't mean it when we ask someone's name. To help us, to disciple us in that, because we really should care what people's names are. Every week we, we take a time to re-greet each other. So if you, what you have to do now is turn to the person who you just spoke with and tell them their name, okay? And if you do not remember, uh, just ask them what it is again. And just remember next week that we're going to do the same thing, okay? <laughs> Go ahead and do that now. All right. Nice job. How did it go? Pretty good? Good job. All right. Now, the next thing, uh, most weeks we pray for another local congregation. Doing that, we actually do what's called an all of life interview. And so what happens is we invite someone from our community and, and we talk to them about their work and vocation. And in, in these conversations, we learn about the way that faith and work intersect. And it helps us to get more ideas about what it means to, to faithfully follow Jesus in the workplace. So today, if you would please welcome up Michael Anderson. Yes, Michael. <clears throat> you were probably wondering earlier why I didn't just use that mic, weren't you? <clears throat> now you know. So... Uh, Michael, uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. And uh, my first question for you is, how would you describe your work? All right. Um, okay. So um, I'm a process engineer at WL Gore. Um, for those of you who don't know, Gore and Flagstaff does um, medical, medical devices. So vascular grafts, stents, hernia patches, um, other implantable devices, similar to those. Um, uh, you might be more familiar with Gore from their Gore-Tex fabrics, so Gore-Tex jackets and all of those. Those are more on the East Coast. Um, personally, though, I, uh, I work on the film team, so we make a lot of the materials that they put into medical devices. Um, so more of a supplier within Gore. So working um, to help optimize our process and really help um, engineer different materials for product use. Great. Yeah, I don't understand that. <laughs> um, so... Uh, the next question I have for you, but it sounds very amazing, uh, is, uh, is uh, as an image bearer of God yourself, how does your work in some way reflect God's work? So I guess kind of looking at different categories of God's work, really creative work would be the first one that sticks out. So um, creating new materials, um, helping device teams make new products to put into different patients. And then also I think a little bit of redemptive work in terms of... Um, helping sick patients and helping give them new life and really redeeming their health. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Um, so uh, the flip side of that is uh, that every occupation sh- lets us see some particular part of the world that's broken. So from your unique vantage point, um, what's something that you see is broken in the world? Um, so I think really 
kind of going back to just people being sick, so brokenness of the human body um, and just being able to help heal that. Um, and then also, I think, just human relationships in general at work, so any job really, um, just the brokenness of relationship, um, interacting with different people. I'd say Gore, we're pretty good, but um, there's still humans involved. So. Yeah. Great. And then we have one more question, and that it comes from Jesus' command that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So in your workplace and in your job itself, um, how does that function as an opportunity for you to love your neighbor? So Gore is pretty unique in their culture. Um, they really care about the culture that's implemented at Gore. Um, we don't really have a hierarchy, so it's more of a flat structure. Um, so if you need to go to somebody, you don't have to go through 15 people to get there. You can go directly to them. Yeah. For example, you can call the CEO if you have a question. Um, like I, could, I could do that? You could do that. Okay. Right. I don't do that, but yeah. you could do that. Um, and then also, a lot of, they just really care about relationships. So every person at Gore has a sponsor, so even the CEO. Um, and the sponsor is more of a mentor. So they really help advocate for you, help look out for your development, um, care about you as a person, so in addition to your work life. Um, and just really caring about individuals. Um, and then they also kind of care about a work-life balance. So um, a lot of us at work um, that start around the same time actually have a dinner that we do on Tuesdays. And it's just a bunch of coworkers. We've been doing it for three years, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, so just caring about each other as people and just really valuing relationships, not just at work, but um, in your daily life too. So. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Would you guys please give him a round of applause, and he's going to go ahead and take a seat. Um, And so what we'd like to do next is uh, actually, uh, if anyone else in the room uh, is an engineer or an engineering student, someone who's looking to get involved in this field, Michael will be our example. You can join him in in standing. And uh, we're just going to, as a congregation, pray for all of our engineers and engineering students that, that God would use them to help our city flourish and help this wor- world flourish. So go ahead. Uh, come on. I know there's some of you. There you go. Hey. Way to go. Fantastic. Thank you guys for your good work. Let's, uh, let's pray for them now. Um, Father, we thank you for engineers. Thank you that they figure out things that most of us do not understand, uh, that they make the world safe and efficient. Thank you that they develop new products that make lives easier and even save lives. Thank you that they are a part of, of your work, God, to, to just uh, take the world and form it into new things, into better things. Um, and we just pray for the engineers of this congregation, Lord, that they would faithfully bear your image in, in, for those at school now as they study and then as they find work, for those um, in, in, the, in their jobs already, Lord, that they would just represent you well in the, those places, um, doing this good work that you have for them to do. Um, we thank you that you ultimately are the greatest engineer the greatest creator, God, and that you have engineered a plan for the world that that just exceeds any expectation and and that you are deserving of all glory for this plan. Um, Thank you that you've made things to work um, for us, your people, and that you promise to make all things work for good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning. Again. We good morning you guys a lot, and only Ingrid and Rachel say hi. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. I get it. It's a hard word. Uh, my name is Anthony. I'm a pastoral resident here at Redemption Flagstaff. Um, welcome if you're new. 
How we like to get started is we just like to start off with a few announcements. We just try to do one or two in the beginning here. Um, the first announcement is we've got something called the Be Home Project happening here this summer with Redemption Flagstaff. Essentially, this project is a, a mission trip to Flagstaff. So the idea is we know most of you, a lot of you college students, come up here for NAU and then you leave as quick as you can back down to wherever you're from, um, usually hotter places. And so what we say is, hey, stay here in the beautiful summer weather of Flagstaff and, and learn how to live on mission here. And, and, and it, we try to make it something where you learn what it will be like one day when you graduate college and, and how living on mission is in that way. And so we're going to post a blog this week with uh, the link to the application inside the blog. So be looking for that. If that's something you're interested in, please feel free to email me. We have connect cards at the desk you can fill out and just say, hey, I'm interested in the Be Home Project, or just apply and we can meet and, and talk about that. Uh, the other announcement is this week is, uh, on Friday is Good Friday, and next Sunday is Easter, so we're excited about that. So we've got two services coming up, and uh, the first one is on Good Friday, which is Friday. That makes it easy. And so uh, it's going to be in the Fremont Room in, in, at NAU in the Dubois Center, and on your cards that we put on every chair, it says right here at the bottom where that is. And so uh, be sure to grab one of those cards so you remember. And then Easter Sunday will be right here. Now, this is a cool moment. Easter is always a cool moment because it's the easiest Sunday of the year probably to invite people to church. Um, because you go, hey, do you want to come to church with me on Easter Sunday? Most people go, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to, right? And we're like, well, well yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> and like, like, you know. And so whatever it takes, right? And so be sure to just uh, take advantage of that. You know, there maybe there's, I know a lot of you, when I talk to you, you go, man, there's this guy I've been thinking about inviting or this girl I've been thinking about inviting, but I'm not sure when. Easter sometimes is a great um, diving board for that. There's no, there's less pressure because all kinds of visitors are usually there on Easter. So, um, so yeah, do that. Good Friday, Easter, it's on the cards. Um, if you need more information about that, you know what? I'm going to pray for myself real quick uh, just because I need prayer all the time. All right. Uh, God, thank you for today. Just fill me with your spirit today. Let the words I speak be what you would say to the group. And, uh, yeah, God, let us learn uh, what you're saying in this text. This isn't good, God, unless, unless you're doing something in it. And so help us, God, to learn and, and draw closer to you. And we just pray all of this in your mighty and holy name. Amen. All right, raise your hand if you need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll pass some Bibles out to you. Raise them high. It's okay. Don't feel weird. We do this every Sunday. If you don't own a Bible, keep this Bible. Take it. Read it. See if what we're saying about it is true. If you do own a Bible, you can just put it on the side on your way out. Okay? And we'll be in the book of Mark today, too. All right. So, uh... When I was, eighth grade was a hard year for me because that was the year where I uh, became a smart aleck, okay? <laughs> and I started to talk back a little bit too much. And in eighth grade, I had this teacher, Miss Pitts, and she didn't really like me that much because I, I always told her that she should name her son Harry. But, um, and so she didn't really like me that much. And this one day, I come into her class, and we sit down. It's supposed to be reading time right after lunch. And usually, I wasn't, I wasn't the most, you know, I wasn't the model student. And my friend Logan, Logan Stone, calling you out, bro, um, he makes a pig noise, right? He gets like oink, oink or something. I don't know. And Miss Pitts goes, Anthony, 
why'd you make that noise? I go, Mrs. Pitts, I didn't, I didn't make that noise. She goes, I know it was you. It came from your area. It was you. What? Tell me that you did or something like that. I'm like, I didn't make the noise. I promise you, I did not make the noise. And then she goes, well, then who did? And I was like, I'm not going to tell you who did, like, but it might be in this area. And I was just like, you know, trying to subtly like narc out my friend Logan before I could get in trouble. And Logan's just like, please don't tell her. And I'm like, I hate you right now. And uh, she just keeps grilling me and grilling me. And she's like, you, you better admit to it in 30 seconds or I'm going to move you. And you're going to have to sit, you know, like in the annex area where file cabinets are surrounding you and you just get bored. Been there before. And, uh, and I was like, Miss Pitts, I didn't do it. And I was like, I'm not going to admit to it. She's like, I'm going to move you. And I was like, you do you, Miss Pitts. You do you. But I didn't do it. And so then she moved me. And then what I found out, I went to my next class, and I got moved in that class too. I went to my next class, got moved in that class too. What I found out, my friend Francisco, he said, oh yeah, I was, I was in uh, Miss McAllister's class during lunch and they, all the eighth grade teachers said they were going to move you today just to like teach you a lesson. I was like, what? That's jacked up. So anyways, that's a story about me being questioned. And today we're going to see a story about Jesus being questioned. I'm, I'm really good at segues, huh? I think I am. I don't know. Uh... But we're going we're gonna, to, so today we're going to see that Jesus is questioned yet again. We're, we're, this is kind of going to be a theme in Mark. Then we're going to see what Jesus' response is. And then uh, Jesus is being questioned about fasting. And so we're going to take some time and we're going to answer the question, is, is fasting for us today? And so if you have your Bibles, open to Mark. Here at Redemption, if you're, if you're new here, we go through books of the Bible. Um, usually, sometimes we'll do some series. Sometimes we'll just do like a standalone message like we will uh, for Easter next week. Um, and we're in Mark chapter 2. And just to give you guys a recap, so, so last week, Jesus was questioned about who he was eating with, right? Jesus was questioned about who he was eating with, and the religious people were like, man, why are you eating with all these other people and not us or whatever? And, and they were getting mad about it. And so this week, Jesus is going to be questioned again kind of about, about his eating habits. So... We're in chapter 2, verse 18 of Mark. Let's get there. All right. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay. So we got, we got two groups. And if you look at some of the other Gospels, these two groups, it says at, at one point, it says that John's disciples actually just came up and asked Jesus this question. And then it has, uh, in another one of the Gospels, the Pharisees just came up and asked Jesus this question. And, and some of you might look at that and go, oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Or people were questioning him a lot all the time, which is what I think. And so I think that this is what was happening. And so Mark kind of sums up, like, look, the, all, both these groups come to, to question Jesus about fasting, and so we have John's boys. Now, if you remember John, John the Baptist, crazy man, prepared the way for Jesus. He, eventually, Jesus says, this is the greatest man on earth, right, uh, of all time, right? So his disciples fast and John fast. And so these guys probably fasted with a sincere heart, and they probably did it to repent. 
But then we got the Pharisees over here who were the religious elite of the day, and they fasted. And I was actually looking some things up, and it turns out that they would fast uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week. From dawn till dusk, Tuesdays to Thursdays, they would fast every week. And, and so the, both these guys come up to Jesus and his disciples knowing that, that they've been taught a rich history about fasting. They've been taught that, that, that the good uh, Jewish person fasts, right? And they, they, knew, they grew up hearing all these stories. Like Moses, he fasted for 40 days when he was in the presence of God writing the Ten Commandments, right? And then in the days of Samuel the prophet, people fasted as a confession of their sin, Esther and her girls, they, they fasted uh, before, it was really her girls, okay? I was going to say her homies, but I don't know if that's appropriate. And so, uh, so Esther and her homies were fasting before, before she was going to approach the king and say, man, hey, can you please not kill all of us? And then the prophet Ezra, he fasted, to, he brought the people of Israel and said, let's fast before God in humility and, and let's ask God for protection, and then even the people of Nineveh that, that would go and kill the people of Israel all the time, they fasted when they heard Jonah telling them to repent because God's wrath was coming. And so throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, we, the, you see this picture of, of God's people and even people that aren't God's people but are trying to uh, talk or, or, or communicate with the God of the Bible, you see them fasting. And so... And so we got these Pharisees and we got John's boys, like the, the hipster Christians at the time, saying two totally different groups, both fasting, saying, hey, isn't this a good thing, Jesus? Why don't you and your boys fast? Why don't you and your, your disciples fast? We, we know it's in the Bible. Why aren't you fasting? And so Jesus answers in, in verse 19 and 20. It says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and, and then they will fast in that day. And so Jesus, classic Jesus, if you, if you know Jesus, he answers a question with a question, right? He, I, it's rare that Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to answer it right off the bat. He usually asks a question to get people thinking. And so he answers a question with a question, and, and he paints this picture. He says, okay, if you're at a wedding feast, so back then they used to do the wedding ceremony and everything. It would be like this week-long party. And so for us, it would be like the wedding reception, right? And so Jesus says, would you fast if you're hanging out with the groom? Would you fast if you're hanging out with the groom at his reception? Some of you might say, yes, because I'm gluten-free, and there's no gluten-free options here. <laughs> sin. And just kidding. Some of you really have it. Um, and, but so Jesus is saying, would you fast at a big party where you eat and you celebrate the marriage uh, of their life? Would you, would you fast? He's like, no, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't fast when you're with the bridegroom. Now, if I'm, a, if I'm hearing this, I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We're not at a wedding right now. What, what are you saying? But if I was like these guys who were the, the religious elite and John's hipster Christians, right? 
they knew the Bible. And so I'd say, okay, he's saying bridegroom. What does that mean? Is that word bridegroom in the rest of the Bible? And they would, they would come to think, well, they would remember that there's all these texts throughout the Bible where the prophets of God call Israel, the people of Israel, God's bride. And they call Israel God's wife. Time and time again, it, and, and, and they compare Israel to God's bride and God's wife. And then, so, so the Old Testament doesn't actually ever really use the word bridegroom, but it does talk about God being Israel's husband. It talks about time and time again that, that God is Israel's husband. And so if you knew the Bible like they knew it, you would say, well, he's basically saying God is here. He's saying that his disciples don't fast because God is here right now. And, and the wedding that's going to unite the people of God and God is, is kind of happening right now because he's saying, he's saying this, is, this is the wedding feast that's going on. And so Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, I, I'm God. Right? He's saying, I am God. And these guys knew it. Remember, these religious elite, the Pharisees, they had the Old Testament memorized. Right? We just try to memorize Psalm 23, right? And I have a hard time, right? I'm a cup overflow or a cup spill. I don't know. And, right? They, they had it memorized. And so they would, that would click right away with them. They would go, oh, we, Israel is God's bride. So the bridegroom is God. And so Jesus is saying he's God. That's crazy. Because a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. He did it in a, a number of ways, but what he usually did, he did it in a contextual way that made sense to the people of God. And so Jesus is saying, man, I am here. I am God. The wedding feast is happening. So we're not going to fast. We're not going to fast right now. Because I am here. And he says one day they'll fast, but, but not right now. And so that, that's all that's happening in 19 and 20. And, then, and Jesus fleshes it out for them a little bit more in 21 and 22. He says this, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. I would just be confused listening to Jesus all the time. First a wedding, and now sewing, and now wine. And I, What are you talking about? And so these illustrations are a little bit dated, so I, I, uh, I kind of want to explain them a little bit. So the unshrunk cloth... He, he paints this picture, if you sew like an unshrunk cloth, like a patch, to a hole of another clothes, somehow it would tear away. And this is how I, I figured it out. So I buy a lot of my clothes from Target, okay? And every time I buy them, uh, the first time I wash them, they shrink much shorter, right? So I wear them in Target, look cool, fresh, and then they shrink and I look like an 80s football player or something, like, and, right? And so what he's saying is, that you can't have a, a, a pre-washed patch to put on an old piece of clothes that's already been washed, already shrunk, and all that. Because he says this pre-washed uh, patch, or I don't know if I'm using that right, when it is eventually washed, it, it will shrink and just tear it up more. Okay? So Target helped me with that one. Then, 
Uh, maybe they'll sponsor us. Actually, that made them kind of look bad. Um, and then the wine and the wineskins. So he, he paints this picture of, his, uh, of new, new wine that was just made, put into old wineskins. And he says, somehow this wine will burst those old wineskins. And I was like, what is, I, don't, I don't know what that means at all. So I went to morewinemaking.com. And this is real. This is a quote from the website. They, they said that wine, well, this isn't the quote, but it says wine ferments as it, or as it ferments, it expands. Okay, so when wine is fermenting, don't know what that means, um, it expands, right? Vince could tell you that one. And then uh, this is the quote. It says, therefore, if you want to be able to ferment a set volume of red wine, you will need to size the fermenter slightly larger than the desired finished volume of the wine. So that's a very credible source, I think. Uh, and so what it's saying, so what Jesus is saying is, you can't take new wine, fill up the old wineskins up to the top, and just expect it to work, because it's going to ferment. And since these are old wineskins, and they've already been stretched as much as they can, they're going to burst and break open, right? So that's what he's saying. That, that's, that, those are the illustrations. But what does he mean? What is, what is he really saying? I think what he's really saying is he's saying the old ways are not going to work anymore. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. Right? He's looking at the Pharisees. He's looking at John's disciples who are fasting, and Pharisees are fasting every Tuesday and Thursday, which the Bible only commands one day of year for fasting. And so they kind of added on to what the Bible said. And, they're saying, and they were saying, man, this is how you, you are a believer. This is how you're a good person of God. This is how you're a good Jewish person, is if you make sure to fast every Tuesday and Thursday. I don't know what John's disciples were doing. They probably were like, you're only allowed to eat locusts or something like that. I don't know. But these guys, and so they were confused by why Jesus and his boys weren't. And Jesus is saying, listen, what I'm doing now as God, right? Because we know he said that he was God. What I'm doing as God cannot be contained by how you do things now. What I'm doing as God right now cannot be contained by your old way of doing things. And here, here's what's crazy is, is the Pharisees, their biggest pitfall, a lot of times we're like, oh, the Pharisees, Jesus just upturned the whole Old Testament. But really a lot of times when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, it was because not because the Pharisees were following the Old Testament really well. It's because they took an idea from the Old Testament and they made these rules on their own, totally outside the Bible. And so Jesus is saying, that stuff that you do, those good intentions, that cannot be contained by what I'm about to do. Right? Like the week before he's eating, or our week before, the, uh, last week he's eating with all kinds of people. Clean, unclean, it doesn't matter. He's eating with the sinners of the world. And, and we're getting this picture that Jesus is doing a new thing. The, the religious leaders before him, they would, they would come up with ideas like, let's fast every Tuesday, let's fast every Thursday. But Jesus was saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing something different. You can't be good enough. Your, your actions can't be good enough. Only I can be good enough. I think Jesus was, was alluding to the fact that he's like, I'm going to save you. Like, I'm, I'm going to be good enough for you. You doing these actions are, is not going to appease God. 
I'm going to live out the perfect life for you. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be sinless. I'm going to show you what it looks like to live as a spirit-led person. And, that, and, and he's like, and I'm going to invite you into that. Jesus is saying, I will, I, will, I will save you by my merits and my power. And that looks totally different than any of the things that you guys are doing right now. It looks totally different. I, I really, I like these stories in Mark. Everybody, every American in here, right? We're like, yes, rebellion, right? We watch these stories. And we're like, Jesus rolls into this place and, and, it, and it's rebellion. And we see Jesus as a rebel. Like I, I hear people describe him as that. And they're like, I love rebel Jesus, right? But, but the reality is Jesus is not a rebel because he's God. He's really coming to earth and he's like, no, this is how it should be. This is, I, I'm making things as it should be. He's basically come to earth. He's like, you guys have messed this up. You guys have tried to save yourselves. You've tried to be good. You've tried to do all these things. You've sinned a ton. But I'm coming and I'm telling you, this is how it should be. And I'm doing a new thing. And Jesus is preparing for this wedding day. And, And I think the wedding day is the day that Jesus made it possible for us to be saved. For us to all come to the wedding party. For us all to, to eat at the table with Jesus. Right? Where the, the, the day where Jesus goes to the cross and he says, God, I'll take their sins. I'll take the punishment for their sins. And he does it. And he dies on the cross and he raises from the dead. And he invites us. And this is what we're going to celebrate next week. Because he raises from the dead, he invites us to share in resurrected life with him. And he shows that he's God. And so Jesus is like, man, look, I'm doing this new thing. This is not the time for fasting. This is not the time for trying to appease God because I'm trying, I am appeasing God. I am the one that's going to get all of you to God. Jesus is saying religion won't work anymore. Okay, so Jesus is saying, so religion in my mind is, I'm going to do these things so God accepts me. I'm going to do these things so God accepts me. Or even with the Pharisees, I'm going to do these things so that I can kind of think of myself as better than everybody else. So religion is, I'm going to do these things to make myself a better person. I'm going to do these things so that that God accepts me. And Jesus is saying, no, no, the, the way it's going to be now is I'm going to accept you because of what I've done. I'm going to accept you and love you because of what I've done. And then the good works follow because of our love relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus, he does look like a rebel. He does look like he's saying, man, this is not how things should be. But really what he's coming to earth and he's like, you guys, you've messed this up. You guys have twisted it. First you brought sin in the world. Thanks. And then... Now you're adding all these rules and you're saying these rules are what are what are going to get you to God. But only God can get you to God. So Jesus is like you can't contain me. You can't contain what I'm doing. It's going to blow your minds. He's saying things are not that way anymore. There's no more appeasing God. And I think we love we when we hear this we go, "Yes. Jesus is doing a new thing." Old thing Boo, right? And we, and we say we don't like it. But I, I grew up in the church, and I can't tell you how often I feel like I talk to people that are, are 
kind of wanting to put this, this new thing that Jesus did into the old wineskins. Right? I can't tell you how often I, I've grown up with families that it seemed like all they, they, they looked for, all they sought was to be good. That, that, that's what really mattered to them, that they were good, moral people. Not that they would get Jesus. Not that they would know Jesus more. Not that they would love Jesus more. But what they wanted was, I want good kids. Or I want to be a good kid. I want to make sure I'm following all the Ten Commandments. I want to make sure this is all going good. And what's scary about that is some of that is good. And some of that we're called to do as Christians. But if we're seeking those things more than we are seeking Jesus, that is a problem. If we're relying on our willpower to do these things more than we're relying on the perfect life of Christ for us, that is a problem. Because Jesus himself said, no, that's not how it's going to be anymore. I can't tell you how, how many families I saw that just, man, now as their kids are grown up and now as life has hit them these different ways, it's like Jesus isn't even a part of the equation anymore. Still go to church every Sunday. They still are really good people. They're really hard workers. They pay all their bills. They're generous. But they don't love Jesus. And, and it's terrifying for me to see that. It's terrifying for me to see that. Because I don't want anyone to come into our church and think, this place is about being really good. We need to be really good here. This place is about being good, and it's, it's about being the right kind of good. It's, the Bible's kind of good is the right kind of good. That's, that's not what we're about. We're about Jesus. We're, we're about that Jesus is the only kind of good. We're about say, looking at Jesus and saying, I need to cling to your goodness. I need to cling to who you are. I need to cling to the fact that only you can save me. In spite of my, my trying to be good and failing or my, my sinfulness, I need to cling to Jesus. We need to know Jesus. We need to love Jesus. Not just be a good boy or girl. We need to know and love Jesus. And so Jesus is doing a new thing, and I hope as a church we can embrace it. If there, a lot of you, I know you grew up in the church. And a lot of you, I know you say, oh, you know, we'll talk and you'll say, oh man, I feel bad. I haven't been to Sunday in a few weeks. Or yeah, I haven't been to church in a few weeks. Ah, yeah. And I just want to say, it's not about getting here on Sunday. Although that is a part of our walk with God. It's about loving and knowing Jesus. It's about realizing that he is everything good. That he has made a way to himself, to God through his life. And so I hope that we as a church can start to, to spread that idea that Jesus has, has done a new thing. But we're still kind of left, we're still kind of left with this question, is there a place for fasting today, right? Because Jesus, uh, you might hear the sermon go, oh, Anthony, there's, there's no place for fasting today then. Like, I, I might make it sound like that, but that's, that's not quite what I'm saying. And so it does leave us with the question, is there a place for fasting today as a Christian? And, I, and I'm going to say yes. Because even in this text, Jesus says, there will be a day when I leave and, and then my followers will fast. They'll fast in that day. So Jesus said that. And then even in Matthew 6, we see Jesus, he, he gives us some, some parameters around fasting. He says, keep it a secret. Don't tell everyone that, that you're fasting. 
And then through, throughout Acts, we see all kinds of fast, fasting. We see in Acts 13, we see his follow, followers worshiping and fasting at the same time. In Acts 10, we see a man fasting. I don't even know if he was a Christian, but to hear from God, and then he does hear from God. And in Acts 14, we see the, the pastors or elders um, fasting together as they chose new pastors and elders. And so I think as we see that happening throughout the New Testament, we, we have to say, yeah, well, yes, fasting is for today. But then we have to say, well, what, what was it about the fasting back then, before Jesus, that is different than today's fasting? And I think it's this. It's that they fasted back then. Well, the Pharisees fasted to be seen all the time, right? They fast, like, that's why Jesus said, do it in secret. Because I think, I don't know why... I think the Pharisees just walked around like, I am so hungry because I am so spiritual. Like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, but for whatever reason, Jesus like, cut that out. You think someone would have been like, you are annoying, but they didn't. <laughs> it took Jesus to do that, right? And so they fasted to be seen by men, but the, I think they also truly fasted because they're like, man, I, I, I want God to owe me. I want God to say, man, you're a good kid. You're a good guy. You're fasting. Good job. I, I owe you. I, I need to save you. They wanted to be owed. But fasting today for us, we fast so that we can just have a deeper intimacy with God. Not so God owes us anything. Not so, so, so God saves us specifically. Not so God saves us. But we fast today so that we can have a deeper intimacy with God. Now, I'm terrible at fasting Okay, I'm bad at it, right? I've, I'm always like halfway through the day of fasting, if I ever fast, I'm like, maybe I should just do half a day. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> right? I'm just, I'm just like that. I literally, I think that every time. I'm so terrible at fasting. Like the guys were making fun of me because we do a group where we talk about what we're preaching. And they're like, you're the perfect guy to preach this. They were saying it sarcastically. And, and, but here's what I do know about fasting. When I do fast, I think the purpose of it is that, that every time I feel a pang of hunger, that I would say, man, uh, God is greater than my hunger. That God, God can satisfy me greater than my hunger is right now in this moment. Now, eventually I will die if I keep doing that. But the idea is true that even if I die, putting my trust in Jesus, that one day he's going to raise me again. And, and, and I'm going to be with him for eternity. And so fasting for us today is just to have a deeper intimacy with God. And, and then I also can't deny that as I fast on days that I do fast, is that every time I do feel a pang of hunger, it helps me kind of focus my day on God. It helps me focus my prayers on God. It helps me remember that God is with me. I don't know why that is, but every time I, I'm hungry, and not in a legalistic way at all, but every time I feel hungry, I'm like, oh yeah, God, God. And, and, and kind of just sh say a short little prayer to God, whatever that is. And so I think we fast just to remind ourselves that we have a, that our faith is a faith that has a full trust in God to save us and provide for us and satisfy us outside of food. And so I don't want to make a bunch of rules about how to fast or not fast or do this. I mean, the one thing Jesus said is try to keep it a secret. You know, don't, don't go around and be like, Facebook status, hey, I'm on the Daniel fast. I'm awesome. Or whatever, you know. And, 
But, but take, make it a moment that's between you and God. Make it a moment that's between your community and God, where you're, where you're seeking God. Yeah, I mean, generally you fast from food, but I think in today's age you can fast from Facebook. You can fast from any other things that you feel like are getting in the way of your relationship with God. The, only, the reason I just think it's probably better with, with, to fast from food is that it, you are reminded of your reliance on God to satisfy you. But I, I don't want to make a, a bunch of rules and say there's only this way to fast or that way to fast because, because Jesus really didn't make a lot of rules about it. He just said, I want you to fast to know me. And, that, and that's what we see the Christians doing, I, that, that, that people would fast to, to hear from God, to be directed by God, to, to, to really have a deeper intimacy with God. And that, um, I want to close with a, a picture God gave us of fasting. And it's in Isaiah 58, and it's not on the screen, actually. And so open your Bibles to Isaiah 58. It's in the Old Testament. It's kind of near the middle. And in this, we see that the people of Israel fasting, but they weren't hearing from God. And so God points out that there's a wrong way to fast. And then there's a fasting that, is, it, that seeks the heart of God. And we're going to start in verse 3 of, of Isaiah 58. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves? And you take no knowledge of it. Behold, in the day of your, of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. This is God now responding to those questions. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fa- fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness." And your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Let's pray. God, your picture of fasting, your picture of of being good is very different for us. God, I think so often we try to be as good as we can so that you, you will accept us one day. But God, the picture you give us is that you were good, that you were perfect. 
And, and because of that, you'll accept us right now. Not for who we are, but because of who you are and what you are giving us, which is your righteousness. And so God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that you have done all it takes. I thank you that you didn't come up with a bunch of rules because I know I would not be able to follow them completely and wholly. And Jesus, thank you for following all the rules. Thank you for being perfect. And thank you for letting us share in that. And so God, if we do fast, if we do any religious thing, help us to do it with the heart, not to earn your grace, but to see your grace. That we would fast and we would see you more. And that we would see you um, in a more intimate way. So God, change our hearts. Help us not to be a people that grow up in the church, come every Sunday, and just hope to be really good. Help us to come every Sunday and just seek you, Jesus, and just get to know you. And I just pray all this in your mighty holy name, Jesus. Amen. We're going we're gonna to move into a time of reflection, and we're kind of changing the time of reflection a little bit today. Nate's actually going to play through the first couple of verses of a song, because the song just really speaks to this idea of fasting and, and this idea of being satisfied in God. And so we're going to do that, and then Vince is going to come up, and, and you guys can stay seated, but then Vince is going to come up and, and lead us into a time of response.